My guest on the podcast today is the self-proclaimed blood sport debater, Andrew Wilson. Now, you might have seen that I covered him recently on the channel, as many others have as well, because of his performance against Matt DeLahunty, where he made him rage quit. This debate is over. Goodbye. Goodbye. Jackass. Did you call me a jackass, Matt? Now, you guys know that I love a robust debate, and I enjoy when somebody has very strong convictions about their worldview. So I thought that I had to invite Andrew on the channel to learn a little bit more about him, what he thinks about his worldview, and it was very entertaining. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy this as much as I did. So with that, let's get into it. All right. So I want to get your reaction to the Matt Dillahunty podcast first. It's one of the absolute classics recently. Um, how did it? How did you set it up, and what was that? What was the energy like when you got in there? Were you guys friendly at start? Uh, kind of. So there's there's footage you probably haven't seen. I brought my own cameraman uh, and audio engineer to that debate. And so we actually have the definitive footage of that on the channel, kind of in documentary format that you can check out, hmm. that actually has the discussion of me and Matt Dillahunty before the debate started. So he had to actually change some of the things that he said the first thing that he claimed was that um, he didn't know what the topic was. I don't know what the, t you know, I was confused about the topic, but you can clearly hear our discussion um, in the, the, you know, in the background where yeah, he yeah. not only knew what the topic was, but was very clear on it. Um, so he kind of had to change the story around a little bit there. They've been kind of changing the story as they've been doing damage control the entire time. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, you can see kind of the definitive edition there, which captures a lot of the audio you couldn't see on the modern day debate. Um, and it's, it's quite good. So I'd recommend checking it out for sure. Where can we find the, that? Uh, you can find that on the crucibles channel. So you can go yeah, to the yeah, crucible. Cool. Yeah. Yep. So he tried to claim he didn't know who you were. And I was thinking maybe this is like a last minute, maybe Andrew's like a last minute fill in or something. Did you guys have time to study each other beforehand? Oh yeah. This was set up, um, like 40 days in advance oh. and we had been promoting it for a long time uh cross-platform modern day debate had reached out to me to do the debate because there's just not that many and now i'm not a christian apologist um mm. and I, that's kind of what they wanted um but i am a political debater i'm a pretty well-known political debater and definitely i put christianity at the forefront of my debate style i'm just not an apologist so I went in with kind of a different viewpoint, I think, than he was used to. Right. So do you, because my analysis of it in my video was that he was way underprepared. He had no idea who you were. And then you came and basically no, he clearly took him out at the he, knees. Yeah. He had no, he had no idea. Uh, so the kind of Christian apologists fall into this kind of strange. It's almost like a, I see how this argument works. So I use the same argument. So I use the same argument. Uh, I wasn't really confined by that. So I came at this like I would a normal kind of political debate where I'm actually looking at the effects of what the policy is. So that's how my mind works, right? Is let's look at the policy effect. <laughs> mm. So for me, this is, it's no different, right? What's the policy effect of secular humanism on society versus the kind of policy effect of Christianity on society? So what would happen if a Christian were to say, I came to all of my Christian views and Christian ethics absent God. So I just, I was an atheist, but I believe all the same stuff that Christians believe. Now, what's the argument against that? Now, yeah. how do you as the secular humanist tell me I'm wrong? 
And there really was no answer for that. So he ended up kind of, um, uh, you know, he, he, he really didn't know where to go with the debate. He was very clear. He was upset because kind of the second prong of the attack was to say, I can show that from my secular ethics, which are Christian ethics under this kind of hypothetical worldview that mm-hmm. I don't lie to people and you do. And here's the lie that you're telling people that I wouldn't tell them. And I think that this is better for society. So then he had to contend with that. He's on the defense, right? So it was not, he was not prepared at all. Whereas we had studied uh, live on my stream many, many times the debate tactics of Dillahunty. And I kind of realized that he's a one trick pony. What he wants to do is go in and debate, but God not real dough. And so kind of the, the tactic becomes, well, let's take God out of the equation and just look at the effects. What are the effect differences between if we were looking at this as a political policy, because that's what you atheists want to do, right? Because God's not real and blah, 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 sky fairy and you're delusional and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, what happens if we take this out of the picture? Mm. And who are some of the stronger debaters you've gone against? Because I've, I've seen a lot of the clips. I love watching The Crucible, your channel, because <laughs> watching you absolutely steamroll some of the like Destiny clones. I don't know how you do it, man. I couldn't deal with that for more than like two minutes. These, these guys <laughs> are just so what? happy to sit there and, and argue that two plus two is eight. It's mm-hmm. fucking annoying to even listen to. Um, <laughs> who, who, who are the like stronger debaters that you've gone against? Oh, pretty much everybody in the um, in the political sphere. Everybody from Destiny mm. to Vosh. He's, he's to good. I mean, basically every you know kind of uh, prominent left wing debater. I've tangled with them at some point, and the less prominent ones as well. So I kind of have an open door policy on tangling with leftists and their ideology because I just fucking loathe them in every yeah. way <laughs> that you can possibly imagine. I just loathe their ideology, and so um, I do. I do enjoy tangling up with them. Mm. Now I do do debates often on the channel and host them, and I'm a very fair host and an impartial moderator. But I don't pretend that I'm not biased. I'm totally biased. I can just give you a fair debate. And probably it's because I embrace the fact that I'm biased that I can just that I can do that. So I'm kind of well known in both spheres, the left and right, as being a very impartial moderator. Yeah, that's good. And I, I like the term blood sport debater. And it's the first time I've heard that because people are so nice these days. And like I can yeah. appreciate that. A lot of the time on my channel, I talk about how to have an effective conversation, but I've got another philosophy. Well, basically my philosophy when it comes to this sort of thing is hit as hard as you get hit. If you can go in there and you feel like you can have a robust conversation with somebody and they can take it and you can take it and they can they can give it as good as they get it, then then have a blood sport debate by all means. But uh, there's just we're, – we're too nice these days sometimes and sometimes we don't want to get our hands dirty. So that's why I appreciated your, your debate style. Well, the secularists count on it. They kind of yeah. count on the fact that they're going to be able to play against your Christian sensibilities or Christian mm, morality. Definitely. But niceness is not a part of the Christian doctrine. I don't know where this came from, this kind of pearl clutching. <gasps> I can't believe he said something which would offend the enemies of the faith. Like, what mm. What do you mean? You know, I'm not there to be nice to the secularists. I'm there to destroy their worldview because they want to punish me for mine. I'm not there to be their friend. I'm not there to be kind to them. I'm not there to be nice to them. I'm there to destroy and eradicate their worldview, uh, which is trying to destroy Christianity globally. That's what I'm there to do. Absolutely. (laughs) Not be be nice to them. 
So tell me a few of the things that it, would you say in your broader worldview, the things that you deb- debate for politically, um, what are some of the things that you represent, you stand for? Well, I think that rights are fictitious and have always been fictitious and that instead what we have is a use of power. So I think that power and force is really the underlaying of rights and what you and I would consider a right to be. So I often will give kind of this analogy and I'll say, listen, let's pretend for a second that you had a leftist and uh, he represented all left wing views. He represented communism and socialism and every other type of ism possible. And then you had a libertarian who basically represented all of libertarian views. And then you had a Christian who had the same, right? Represented all Christian views. And there was a sword and the sword said power on it. And anybody who wielded the sword had absolute power. I think that the libertarian would look at the Christian and say, listen, if you don't take the sword, I won't either. And you can live inside of the society that I have, and you can rule your own covenant community how you see fit. And I think the Christian would agree. And by the time mm-hmm. he did, the leftist will have grabbed the sword and killed them both with it. Yeah, one hundred percent. And this is kind of the what they say about what happened during like the Russian Revolution, for example. That as soon as the apparently there were some people who were you know in it for social justice or whatever, but as soon as those guys actually take power. The scumbags come in from behind them and stab them in the back and actually take power. So this is why we have to have some sort of a governing morality that we all fall under. Yeah. So the question becomes, do Christians have the right to rule as much as secularists do? And I think they do. Do they have the right to wield power the same way that secularists can? I think that they should. So I think that these claims of kind of power and authority that we've kind of yielded over to secularists that they should have the right to power and wield authority and we can just only kind of react to it right and so we've become kind of a nation of christian reactionaries Hmm. where we're just constantly reacting to what the left does instead of seizing power which is what we should be doing and there's no good reason for us not to because otherwise we're going to be ruled by people who literally want to destroy everything we hold dear and uh, that's why I often find it's almost laughable to me how few Christians will engage in the political scene. They reject politics outright and say, I'm not even going to engage in it. Um, And I I think that's a foolish mistake. And I think that putting a secularist on the spot and asking them why they are qualified to rule instead of you is something we should do a lot more of. Hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that you're right about that. And I was watching one of your videos the other day where you were talking about uh, feminism, and you were agreeing with Rollo Tomasi. And this is something that I categorically agree with: that feminism is it's in the air that we breathe. I think that that was the that was the term that you said, and it's so true. I was watching a Piers Morgan and Andrew Tate video. Did you watch that? The most recent interview that Piers Morgan did with Andrew. I've Tate? not seen that yet. Yeah, well, there was one part where Piers Morgan was grilling Andrew Tate because he had a tweet where he was basically saying, my woman, I don't want her to ever have to work. Uh, I want to pay the bills. That's my masculine imperative. I want her to be able to raise the children and have an easier life and I'll take on the burden. And Piers Morgan was grilling him as if he'd just sort of, as if he'd just said something just so outlandish. And I was like, what kind of a man wouldn't think that way? And it just went to show for me, just how deeply ingrained these ideas are that that somehow he's a he's a misogynist that was Piers Morgan's word for wanting to take on that responsibility well, in some ways it's worse it's worse than even that as you dive in you still realize that um, even most people who reject 
kind of modern feminism, which kind of sees men and women as interchangeable widgets. Um, as bad as that is, even the first wave of it, which was highly dependent on the ideas of equality and egalitarianism, was foolish. Egalitarianism mm. is a foolish doctrine, and it's not true. That's the other thing. It's descriptively not true in the world. Nothing's equal. There's really no such thing as equity. That's all nonsensical. But we have kind of this foundation we're raised with from the time that we're born to embrace that we have some sort of uh, rights instead of duties and uh, virtues. We don't go for duty. We don't go for virtue. We go for my rights, right? What am I allowed to do? And you'll note that almost no group or interest group or individual is re ever requesting more rights so that they can do more dutiful things or have more virtue. In other words, I've never seen anybody say, I want to have the right to be more virtuous. I want to have the right to have more responsibility heaped on me. I've never seen that. I see the opposite of that. Hmm. And so why is it that you go towards the political sphere more? Because like you said, a lot of Christians tend to stay away from the politics and they go into more the apologetics. Why do you lean into the politics more? Well, because we we have nobody doing it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's unfortunate. So I, th I do think we need both. So the way that I view the United States and all societies, in fact, is that theology informs culture and then culture informs politics. So the problem is, is that we've had an erosion from that center, which is the culture eroding the theology. And so kind of this political kabuki theater that we deal with today, which is so insane, is a reflection of the fact that all of the theology has been eroded. So this kind of both ways, right, it's, it's kind of destroying society. Everything in the center is becoming decayed, dilapidated, and it's, it's being destroyed. And if more Christians would stand in the political sphere and say, instead, we want the right to rule as well. We want to be able to have power as well and influence as well and not allow secularists to weaponize our religion against us, which does not prohibit us in any way from ruling. We have ecclesiastical authorities going back 2000 years, which show government structure. They show all sorts of different things like this. They have precedent for all of this. There's no actual reason that Christians can't rule. There's, I mean, it's actually a really good idea that they do because then you have uniform morality, right? And secularists mm. can't provide that. They can't really provide a secular or a uh, uniform morality for people. And that's why you, another reason you see such bad societal decay. Yeah. I mean, they relinquish that as soon as they become the sexual, the secularists. But so some of the people that you debate with, they're such a good indication for me. Um, like the guys who you find on on Twitch, like you said, the lower tier of people that you sort of debate with, these guys are such a good example for me of some of the societal decay because when you bring up religious matters, they'll act like you've just said something, that, like you've just said that there's a ghost standing right there that you can see. They have absolutely zero concept of it. And when you see, say that, it seems so crazy to them. Why, why is that? Why are we like, because for me, for example, I was raised in a Catholic school. Sure. Um, I always, you know, read the Bible, but never really took it seriously. I only started to actually take it seriously when I was about, when I turned about 25 or so, and only started to look deeply into it. What do you think are some of the contributing factors that make us so flippant about these, the structures that have built our societies? It's a single axiom. And the axiom is that all men are created equal. And the axiom is that we have inalienable rights. 
these this particular axiom has been so bastardized as to kind of state that now it's not really that we're just kind of equal in the eyes of God or that we have kind of like some foundational equalities like the right to not be murdered and things like this. It's now become something far different, which is now we must have social equality. We must have uh, equality of all types, and we must have fair equity across the board. So the axiom has become so bastardized, and it's seeped into people's psyche so much that when you bring up religion or the fact that the religious are more than capable of ruling societies, and most societies right now are ruled by the religious and not by secularists, they actually have a panic attack. They can't even imagine or fathom how such a thing could even be possible uh, for for some reason, the only image that comes to their head is, uh, you know, uh, Muslim burqa wearing women with no rights who are abused and, you know, uh, kind of a oppressive patriarchy, which is there to dominate and destroy society when none of that's true. And none of the kind of classical Christian societies that you look at have any sorts of, um, uh, you know, kind of pressures which are designed that way. So there is still a cooperation between men and women. Uh, women have always been able to hold property in most Christian states, but they've also been valued in such a way where they weren't just considered basically three holes in a goal, right? Which is what mm-hmm. they are now, which I consider them now to be essentially valueless, valueless in society rather than valuable, which is interesting because the opposite was supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But how did we can, that's, this is the thing though. How did we convince them to become valueless? Because a lot of the times, like when I went on the whatever podcast, I've been on there twice and I'm speaking to these girls and they have no concept of what's ahead of them. And I was, I was in, in particular, I'll, I'll give you this example of this one girl who'd been traveling and she was 25. And I've got this theory that that is the happiest person in the world, who's the girl who's under 25, who has zero concept of the responsibilities of life and has zero concept about what might be ahead of her in the future. She's just been told by society, you do whatever you want all the time. And if that makes you happy in the moment, then fantastic. And you're going to go travel around Asia and Thailand and you're going to, everyone's going to smile at you because all of the guys want to have sex with you. They're going to be so nice to you. And you know, life is just absolutely blissful, but they don't have any concept of responsibility or duty. When I brought those things up to them, it was almost like I'd, I'd said something, like I'd sworn at them and I'd said that their grandmother was this or that. You know? <laughs> so how did we get to the point where there's absolutely zero virtue that we're instilling in young women so my wife wrote a great book it's called occult feminism by rachel wilson Uh, i strongly suggest that people read this as it kind of explains this process in depth as to how women ended up uh, becoming kind of the more valueless of the two sexes in society while still kind of in a haughty way, considering themselves to be the most valuable asset in society, and yet men view them as now basically a disposable commodity, and the risk is even too high to even marry them, right? It's too high for modern men to even marry them. But how this yep. really started, this is an occult phenomenon, mm. and most all of this started with occult thinking. 
And you can find this type of occult thinking going all the way back to the Freemasonry at the founding. But this culture has been so heavily influenced with occult doctrine, Mm -hmm. going back to the original foundational doctrines, that it would actually amaze you to note how the gradual progression of this kind of follows a very similar playbook across the board. This has been a plan by social elites for years and years and years, and we have tons and tons of documents to prove that. And you can find those in that book, in fact. So well, it's yeah. Not, wasn't um, wasn't Women's Lib originally funded by like the Rockefellers or some some? Oh yeah. Big- oh yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was funded by all the big players. I mean, when you yeah. when you kind of when you begin to move this back, you begin to discover more and more and more that there's really no mystery to it that um, kind of this egalitarian mindset is part of the occult mindset, and it always has been. If you look at Satanists, for instance, even modern-day Satanists, what is their creed? It's egalitarianism. Across the board, all occult groups seem to have this as their axiomatic principle. And so it doesn't surprise me a bit, after you put the research in, you kind of discover this. Um, And so, yeah, I would strongly recommend to your viewers that they read that book. It's quite good. And goes over this in depth. Hmm. I want to get Rachel on the podcast if possible, if she gets time over the next few weeks or so. To, well, I'd, I'd yeah, like to I actually rec- go through. I this would highly in, de- in depth. I would highly recommend it. Um, yeah. So she she handles kind of the more historic, um, you know, kind of principles which led up to how feminism has destroyed the West. Uh, for me, I go after a much more political. Uh, kind of the political arena and uh, what's going on in modernity and then historically. Um, so we, we both kind of have a, a different attack vector in the way that we go at this. Mm. And how would you describe your politics if you had to, if you had to describe it? There's not enough room left to the right for me to fit there anymore. Right. Okay. That's how far on the spectrum I am, at least considered in the United States. You couldn't. You, you could, could take the tallest man's arm and extend it to the right, and I would not be able to fit on <laughs> any of his fingers at this point. So that's uh, that's how I would be considered. Cool. And in terms of other prominent figures who might be in sort of thought alignment with you, in terms of the politics, who who else is there? Who else do you do you align with and agree with? You mean as far as kind of their political foundations? Yeah, yeah. So in, in many ways, there's there's not that many, unfortunately, on the right uh, anymore who you can agree with. We've basically been sold out across the board. There's very few people who are representing the Christian right's interest in a way which is conducive to the Christian right itself. So mm-hmm. it, the right-left paradigm and dialectic is false in any extent, but I'm just saying from a societal worldview in the modern West, I would be definitely considered politically right wing, but the Ben Shapiro's of the world and kind of the more modern mainstream political pundits most certainly do not represent my worldview at all. Uh, Now, if you're kind of looking at a more, you know, uh, streamlined or, um, you know, smaller streamers or people out there who are political pundits, I would say that guys like Tucker Carlson would more adequately represent my view to an extent, but even that falls short. I was a big fan of Trump. I thought that kind of his immigration policies, things like that, were far more in line with my view. Um, If you're kind of looking at just in the streaming sectors, you would take guys like uh, maybe Jay Dyer and others who I think are more politically aligned with me than they're not. But still, 
there's no uniform agreement across the board, but just closer aligned. Hmm. So the idea of liberty is something that I've been thinking about recently quite a lot because I'm a fan of freedom, right? And I think that freedom Why? is one of the well, I think that freedom is one of the founding sort of doctrines of American culture, for example, the freedom to be able to do what you that's, pursue the career that you want to do. That's that air you're swimming in, right? That's that air you're swimming in. That's kind of that toxic seepage that seeps in. But let's okay, start think, with this. Yeah, let, let's let's, just, let's get a definition of freedom first. I mean, what what do you consider when you when you think about freedom? What what does that mean to you? Well, so I think that um, ultimately, what freedom would mean is absence of duty. Okay. So I think that's that's how I would like kind of easily define it is absence of duty. So okay. the more duty, the more duty you have, the less freedom I would say that you have. I think that that kind of follows. So I think that maybe there's an importance in the human condition to have some kind of balance between the two a little bit, you know, some freedom and some duty. And I think that that always was kind of, um, you know, what this, these sort of foundational principles were trying to um, kind of push out, right, was that, hey, you still have duties, but we're going to give you some sort of personal autonomy uh, absent the state to kind of pursue your own destiny. But the thing is, is that freedom itself seems to be pretty overrated. Freedom to do what? <laughs> this is my question. My great question now is, what do you want the freedom to do what with? What are you trying to do? Well, I guess for me, when I think of freedom, what I think about is freedom of speech, freedom to bear arms, for example, something we don't have in Australia, we can't have guns, bodily autonomy, freedom to not get a, get forcefully vaccinated if you don't want to, and just, just basic yeah, I'm freedoms on, like that. I'm on that. YouTube, can't get into that. <laughs> yeah, that's can't, true. Oh, can't say that. Can't, I can't say that word. Yeah, um, the, we should we should have so, done this to rumble. But yeah, So those so, are the so sort we'll of freedoms that I think jabby. about. We'll just call this the jabby stabby, okay? so <laughs> Exactly. So let's but, go but, yeah, over these. So, let, let me just give just yeah, one more thing ahead, before, before sure. we do that. So- I've been flirting with the, oh, not flirting with the idea, but just thinking about the idea recently that freedom in itself and the idea of liberty and the idea of liberal democracy uh, necessarily becomes a tyranny in itself because lib liberty and liberalism is in itself a worldview. And then eventually the conservative ideology and the Christians become the enemy. So I was, I, I broke down a video the other day that caught sort of, went through this it was a it was a debate that i was watching but it's kind of a difficult one for me to wrestle with in my own mind because i do like the the idea of liberty i like the idea of freedom and living in a western country where you can kind of do what you want but then i understand that it becomes a tyranny in itself as well and i understand the sort of decadence that happens once it, it's taken to its logical ex logical conclusion well it's an easy sell isn't it to kind of sell freedom to people it seems like it's um and it's sold pretty easy, right? It's the natural state. But let's take a look, for instance, mm -hmm. at kind of your list. You like the idea of bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. What about abortion? Yeah, that's well, that's not bodily that autonomy in, in, my, in my mind because you're killing sure. another human being. Look, I agree. I agree. I'm not disputing that. But what I'm saying is that the progressive left will take that principle and bastardize it. Yep. And say, wait, I also have the freedom to a bodily autonomy. And this means that this evil parasitic thing, which is living inside of me, I have the right to destroy it. So when you look at how freedom is viewed, you don't actually think that people have unlimited bodily autonomy. You think that that should be restricted in many circumstances for the good of society. Same thing with speech. 
I'm sure that you think that that should be heavily restricted many times for the good of society. For instance, if uh, you had a government which was going to, to war with a just war and they kept secrets from the population, that's probably totally reasonable. And if you were to spill those secrets, you probably should go to prison, right? So that... Uh, because you're you're guilty of treason, so that would vi- yeah. would that violate your right to speech? I suppose it would, but is it necessary? I think so. If you if you look at each one of these, in other words, they're just as likely to be used against you as they are for you. Because mm-hmm. I think that absent an ethical foundation or an ethical grounding for people to fall back on, there's no way for you to have real freedom. Because um, without ethics without some sort of foundational morals, the the question then becomes freedom to do what? And what we've ended up with is basically it's just the freedom to have gay sex and basically nothing else. That's that's about <laughs> it, right? That's what it really boils down to. It's just like you have the freedom to have gay sex, nothing else. No, mm. for, no real freedoms to speak of. Freedom of speech in the United States is dead, uh, and it's, it's been dead for a long time. Freedom of bodily autonomy is a joke. You just brought up a perfect example of it during the lockdowns. Uh, every one of the freedoms we could possibly go through, they've been out the door for a long time. And instead, we have a bastardized version, which basically just leads to freedom to sin. And that's sure. it. Sure. I, I do get what you mean by that. But for, let's take freedom of speech, for example. So it's kind of, it, it doesn't really work when you think about it because freedom of speech in itself is freedom up to a certain point. But then, like you said just then, there's treason and then there's incitement to violence and then you can't say certain things to children if you're a fully grown man and 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 that but don't you think that within the laws that govern us beyond that there should be some sort of level of freedom of speech that we should all necessarily have as human beings for example freedom to be a political dissident and to 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 say things that perhaps your government wouldn't agree with because there's a line when when for example, in communist China, when you can't criticize the government or else you'll get a bad social credit score or in other totalitarian societies in the past where you can't say certain things or else you'll be imprisoned. Don't you think that's too far or do you think that that's necessary? Not sure. And here's why I, I, I can kind of agree in principle to some of this, but I have to also look at the descriptive reality. And mm. the reality is, is that your freedoms and your rights go as far as your ability to enforce them. And so as long as the kind of power and the force is always with what your starting point was, which I think we should have X, okay, what's your ability to enforce that you have X? And the answer to that question is you don't have any ability to enforce it. You have no ability to use force in order to guarantee your freedom. Since you don't have that ability and somebody else has the monopoly on it and always will then what we really should be focusing on is who should have the authority, not who should have the rights, but who should have the authority because somebody's always going to have it and they're always going to have the enforcement. And I'd rather see a person who had my worldview who had it than a person who had a secularist worldview. Sure. I, I can, I can, I can agree with that and I can understand what you're saying, but for me, I would like to see somebody who, who has the ability to be able to listen to all different perspectives and all different sides of the political spectrum and not to be a tyrant in that sense. So do you think that in your worldview, if the, if your country is, say, governed by your politics, is somebody allowed to say 
the things that a hyper liberal would say. For example, are they are they allowed to express? Uh, are they allowed to have pride parades? For example, no, no. So that sort no. of cultural decadence just wouldn't be allowed. Yeah, why? I mean, why should we never allowed it to begin with? So yeah. it was never allowed. We never allowed homosexuality inside of the United States. It was illegal. It was outlawed. It was outlawed in your country, too. It was outlawed in most places. Same thing with uh, all sorts of this kind of decadence. It was outlawed completely. Same thing with pornography. It was outlawed. Why do you need to allow complete and total perversion or uh, a song as you're driving down the street, which the person swearing at the top of their lungs and, and kind of breaching the peace? There's no particularly good reason that I can ascertain for why people need those freedoms. Why would you even want them except to pervert the things which are around you, right? There's no reason for them. So do I think that those types of things should be uh, kind of heavily pushed out of society? Yeah, I do. I think that um, the negative side effects from that are very limited in scope and ultimately are probably very good for society in general. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Um, so what is a time period that you would say that was a good time to live? If you could look at the peak of human civilization, where it is, when it is, what are we looking at? Like, like what time period would I want to go back to? Exactly. Like um, a place and a time. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're talking about like um, a more moral time to live, or a time when people considered these things more carefully. Essentially, any time frame before 1880 was probably pretty good for a moral value structure. Now, does that does that mean that I would want to get rid of all technology and think, mm -hmm. no, of course not. I'm just saying that if I, when I'm looking at it, I kind of look at this a different way. I don't look at it as a, let's bring back the 1950s or the 1940s or the 1930s or anything like this. What I'm saying instead is let's focus on having a grounding moral principle, which people can follow. And if that grounding moral principle happens to be Christianity, and that is the thing which people can unify around in those ethical foundations, then why shouldn't we promote that? So, yeah, I, I guess my wife actually makes a good point, probably pre-enlightenment. But I still think that basically anything before 1880 was still far better than what we have now. <laughs> yeah. It's something that it's it's hard to wrestle with because I am a fan of, like I said before, I like living in a Western country and I like the idea of freedom, but I'm constantly having my ideas of freedom and what that is challenged the more and more I go into breaking down all of these debates and listening to speakers like yourself. Because when I look at the Islamic world, for example, the one thing that I'm jealous of is that they're kind of united under a, a moral foundation, whereas we don't have that here. And it's just everybody's warring all the time. And sometimes I look at those countries like your Saudi Arabia's and Iran, and I think in a hundred years, these guys could be the superpowers of the world because at least they're, they're united they're, and they're at least they're having be. kids. Yeah. They're reproducing, right? And yeah. those who reproduce are going to own the world. And so th this is kind of one of the points I brought up in the Dillahunty debate is that the Western nations are not reproducing. They, they actually can't. And the reason that they can't is because once you have a rejection of some type of higher value, which tells you to do a thing, in this case, to breed and multiply, you're only stuck with the materialist worldview. And under the materialist worldview, why should you have a child at all? If you can mm. do the procreative act absent the child, 
right? With then it's essentially risk free. Then why wouldn't you do that instead of burdening yourself with the result of it, which is it, which is a kid? And so once that choice becomes available, many many people take it, and it it adds to societal decay. Not just that, you can see kind of the overarching decay on society with morbid obesity. You can see it with uh, kind of the general mental health of people all over the West is really bad. All of this leads to a lack of reproduction rates. And this is really bad for uh, society as a whole. And the Western nations, what they end up having to do is import people from those theist nations, which then replaces their domestic population. And they say, well, that's fine. And so in many ways, the atheists and secularists are thinking themselves right out of existence. Hmm. That's kind of cool. That's like a good good version of Darwinism, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's it's like um, when, when it's funny, when I first started thinking about these issues years ago, I thought, well, there just can't be really any hope. Like, there's, like, what could you possibly do to stem the flow? And the more that I looked at it, though, the more I kind of realized that there's almost this internalized check and balance system. And I think that maybe God put this in place. I have no idea, right? It's just pure speculation. But maybe mm. this was put in place by God himself. When a society becomes too decadent, they simply stop reproducing and the decadence ends up going away. That's what ends up happening almost every single time. And so it's kind of interesting in many ways that we're living through those times and we're going to be living through those times for a long time uh, as it's a gradual progress. But they are thinking themselves out of existence it's like kind of the ultimate check and balance. <laughs> it's Isn't it funny, though, how that is actually like a natural reality, if, like all of the indicators point towards it. If you believe in climate change as being, you know, this big existential problem, and if you think that having children is bad for the earth, you're not going to have kids. Urbanization is another big indicator as to people not having kids. Who goes and lives in the big uh, fancy cities? It's all the liberals and all the atheists. So there is this sense that as you become more liberal and atheist, you definitely begin to have less kids. So they're getting bred out. They're li well, quite literally, and it's going to get worse. So right now, the trend is still that Christians are outpacing them uh, significantly, but that's going to become even worse and worse as the generations down the line mm. uh, adopt their parents' values. And if their parents are theists, of course, they're going to adopt the theistic values because most people do that or the secularist values. But as you start to see the scale of decline, you'll start to see the secularist have less and less and less and less. That's why indoctrination has become an important part of that principle. That's why the next big fight that you'll probably see in the global West, meaning all the Western nations, is going to be over the thought of homeschooling. I think that that's mm. the next really big battle that's coming down the pipeline is, wait a second, if you are able to remove us from the population indoctrination centers, then they have a real problem on their hands because mm. now they're not only not reproducing, but their ideology is not reproducing that's a big problem i hope so i hope that becomes a really big problem for them because i love the thought of taking the children out of the government's hands and being able to sort of i i like the idea of having like a little commune where me and my brothers all have kids and the wives uh like teach the kids maths and english and then we come home and we teach them how to fight like that seems like a great world to me i don't know why they need to go and be learning about all these irrelevant subjects i mean do you do you homeschool your kids or they, they go to school i do yeah yeah that's awesome um, i have all of them 
and they're and, always way uh, they're always way ahead. They're always able to skip grades. They're always able to graduate way early. The tests are nothing to them because in the social, the socialization aspect is probably the most humorous part for me, because what are they being socialized inside of school to do basically mm -hmm. to uh, do a bunch of degenerate bullshit, right? That's what they're being indoctrinated to do. So what's what's interesting about it is kind of back to your point. I don't think that they're going to let us do it for long. That's my point. My point is, right. I think that this is going to become a political fight because once it's recognized that in the post-lockdown world, uh, homeschooling became more than just a fad and a trend, but became a way of life for many, many, many people. And they don't want to go back to the way it used to be when they sent their kids off to these centers. So I think that as that becomes a more popular trend, and it is, that you're going to find out that there's going to be massive crackdowns on it and all sorts of restrictions that don't currently exist. It's one of those things that's demonized a lot. I remember an ex-girlfriend of mine and I were talking to her parents and, and I said to them, I'll probably homeschool my kids one day. And uh, their reaction was, but now the, how would you socialize the kids and, and this and that? Whereas, uh, I mean, I don't think it would be that difficult. You just create a community around them. Why do they have to be socialized with the other indoctrinated kids? I wouldn't let them play with them with them anyway. So can, can is, is socialization that much of a problem? No, it's not a problem. I mean, any more than it was a problem. Like you're supposed to be in school to learn how to read, write, do arithmetic, things like this. Socialization pre-public school was not a problem. So why is it suddenly a problem now? Yeah, yeah. People I mean, lived you, much. People lived much further apart, much further distances away from exactly. each other than they do now as well. Why was socialization not a problem before? And when there was none of these centers for you to go to, but suddenly they claim that it's a problem now. That makes yeah. no sense. I think I was socialized mainly by my brothers, by having two brothers. So if you of have course. multiple kids, they're going to learn like the principles of reciprocity with each other and they're going to be able to play with each other and learn how to play nicely unless they're just little scoundrels, which I was. But I mean, <laughs> anyways. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, is... Um, you you still don't lack friends. You don't lack any of those things just because you don't have to go and sit down in a classroom or in a quad with them for nine hours a day, which, by the way, that's insane torture, yeah. I think, in my estimation, for a kid anyway, Especially to send them boys. off to a center for eight or nine hours a day with mm -hmm. a sometimes a, a bus ride that's an hour you know, to the school and back or 30 minutes and things like this. And it's like, then they have to go home and do more work. They have to go home and do more home home. It's like, that's just pure torture for most kids. Yeah. Yeah. And then having to be like indoctrinated by some blue haired Marxist as well. It's just not what I want for my kids. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about culture. Cause I found it interesting what you said before that you felt like there was no hope before. And I really get what you mean there because the cultural shift has been so monumental that, like we said before, even if like feminism and these ideas are in the air that we breathe. However, I am noticing a shift more where the sort of young masculine men who want to be a little bit dissident in terms of the culture are now moving towards God because that's kind of like the badass thing to do now. That's like the rebellious thing to do now is to like believe in God. And you're seeing guys like Chase, who, for example, you went on the podcast with the whatever podcast. He's a real like 
the way that he speaks on the podcast, I don't know him personally, but the way he speaks on the podcast, he seems to be a guy who really follows God. And then he's always saying Christ is king. And then you got all these people in the chat saying, yeah, Christ is king, Christ is king. We wouldn't have seen this a few years ago. And I feel like it's the antithesis to this woke monumental cultural shift where a lot of young guys are adopting the principles of Christianity, whether it be like an authentic form or not. You see Andrew Tate, for example, he's uh, Islam and his brother is Christianity. And all these guys who are considered sort of uh, the the masculine role models uh, are religious. And the atheist liberals are kind of not really getting as much clout. What do you think about that? I think that it's the natural consequence of the pendulum swinging with the youth and that rebellion in the 1980s looked like androgyny and hair bands and mm. wearing clothes that nobody else wore. And then, you know, you had the spring up of the 90s of the same type of culture with goth culture and things like this. Now, part of the kind of rebellious nature of youth is to look at this and recognize that the actual counterculture to push back against the woke degenerates is instead to kind of have a firming of traditionalism. And you couldn't ask for a better countercultural revolution than that, right? So it could very well turn into more of a renaissance than anything else, kind of a renaissance back yeah. to God, which, uh, you know, as the trends move and the birth rates decline, that may be what you see. And the West yeah. may end up being saved by that. I don't know. Who knows? You know what I mean? It's impossible to tell, but there still is great hope. Right. Okay. And I've noticed that you've commented quite a lot on the red pill movement as well. And this is something that another thing that I haven't got quite like a totally formed worldview on, but something that I've just been noticing is that the red pill guys, I think that there's some sort of a conduit to faith happening with the red pill. And the reason why I think that is because like I said before, a lot of the guys who are sort of held up on this pedestal as the 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 red pill uh, dons, they can't really get by without having some sort of a faith in God. And Andrew Tate is a great example of that. And I think that a lot of guys who who study the red pill are going into these ideas of traditional masculinity and eventually ending up in some sort of form of faith whether it be because the cool guy on the internet said that they should or whether they just take the ideas to their logical conclusion and end up in faith. Is that something that you're seeing happening at all? It's a double-edged sword. So I see as many nihilists being produced by the red pill as I see people moving over to the religious uh, you know, side of things from the red pill. And this is a natural consequence of the kind of red pill ideology, which I'm not a red piller. Uh, not at all. In fact, I consider most of them to be just as degenerate as the progressive leftists who I debate on a daily basis. Hmm. But the reason that it can turn easily into nihilism is because they essentially tell you there's no hope for you to find a good woman. There's no hope for you to find a woman who's not a complete total skank, who hasn't been run through by 30 guys or who doesn't come with all of this baggage. You know, the chance of you finding a, a moral, good, decent woman is going to treat you good for the rest of your life is like finding a unicorn. And that's bad messaging. Yep. However, the non-nihilists who move over to the Christian side, instead, they say, well, wait a second. Perhaps our, if our values begin to inform society, 
we can see virtuous women inside of society again mm. to match the virtuous men. And I think that that's a far better message. And that's the one I'd rather see people embrace. Yeah. It's so true, man. It's so true. It's almost like a fork in the road when I see people go to that sort of ideology. The reason why they're going there and why they're seeking advice on the internet from other dudes and dating advice is because they're disenfranchised with the modern world. They're disenfranchised with the dating market. They don't quite know how to talk to women. They don't really know what they want from a relationship and they don't know where they want to go. And they can either go down this path of self-improvement and understanding, well, what do I bring to the table as a man? What do I want to embody? And then what kind of a woman do I want? And am, am I the kind of guy that would attract that woman? Or they go down this pathway of, oh, yeah, women are all fucking terrible. And it's this black yeah. pill. Like, I'm not good enough. It's because I'm five foot eight and not six foot. All the six foot guys are going to get all the girls. Yep. And it's this destruct. Like, being a victim is just, it's never the way. But I am seeing this as well. But I think you're right in the sense that there is there is both ends of the spectrum. But well, I guess it I kind think of there should be a, a kind of practical application too, is men are capable of reason, mm. right? And kind of this practical application that I wish I would see more of is this for the people who fall into the nihilism. They say, Well, I want a beautiful woman who can do A, B, and C, and they're ugly as sin. And it's like, kind of try to take a more practical approach too. that ugly people have been marrying each other since the dawn of time and beautiful people tend to marry beautiful people since the dawn of time. And that it's okay. You're not lowering your standards or in some way being a scumbag by marrying at your level. If you're ugly, you're probably going to marry an ugly chick and you should probably just be content with that and stop, you know, stop trying to fight against the wave um, because you can't help how you're born in life. That's how you're born. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's kind of what your lot is. Does that mean you can't do some improvement, try to net a better chick or something like this? Sure. But there's also one of the things that leads to the nihilism is the idea that you can sell a person of values above what they actually would ever have. You know what I yep. mean? And instead of kind of more virtuous approach to this and a more dutiful approach to this is to be okay with your lot in life. Be okay with your lot in life. You don't have to have a knockout woman. It's not It's not a requirement for your social status. Okay? I don't think you want one. Though, if they're like above like eight, nine, ten, they, they, tends, they tend to get a little bit too high maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Well, you I mean, in a, in, a, in, a, in a pain in the ass. I mean, there was that old yeah. song, right? If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, find an ugly woman who will be your wife. Right? <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard that. That's an old, no. old oldie song, right? But the whole the whole point of the song was to be like, look, um, you know, it, it you don't have to go for like the the nines and the tens and the this and the that. You know what I mean? No. Most of you aren't nines and tens Mo and, and most men know it. And I understand wanting to kind of attract a more beautiful woman or something like this, but also kind of be more realistic. And the fact of the matter is, is that you're moving towards what are virtuous actions, not kind of the self-centered peacocking. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that leads to some of that nihilism. Yeah. And we're all marching steadily towards the grave. We're all going to be gray and old. And I think you want somebody who you can build with as well and somebody who's going to share your values. And then one, one day when you're like old together and you can't get it up anymore, you want to be sitting next to somebody <laughs> who you can have a conversation <laughs> with, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like, um, I just, I just wish that, um, you know, inside of those communities, 
uh, there's a lot of kind of snake oil salesmen who exist who are always trying to sell you a package or they're always trying to sell you a program or they're always trying to sell you kind of a magic pill and this is yeah. old old scam philosophy you know old snake oil scam philosophy drink this take this read this it'll change your life it probably won't it probably mm. isn't because most of this is basically a common sense approach if you're an ugly ugly sob you're probably going to end up with an ugly chick and that's all right yeah yeah 100 percent, man i'd say 90 90 95 of them are snake oil salesmen but that's the way that it works a lot of them they just sort of like they, it, it, that's a movement that's just in flux and everyone's arguing with each other and nobody really really knows what they actually believe in but then you have a few at the top who i believe actually have decent worldviews but next thing i wanted to chat with you about and it's similar to this and i know you've got some thoughts about this there's this whole trad woman movement that's going on and much of the time when i see these girls they're on tiktok with their nice beautiful supple bosoms just sort of bouncing around while they make a sandwich acting like they're uh trad traditional and i, I don't myself i don't particularly see that as traditional i think that you know i've got my own opinions on that does it give you any hope seeing this uh this resurgence of women wanting to be traditional and having a bible verse in their bios if I thought that the intention behind it was not just an overage of male attention and essentially just more feminist bullshit, which because at the heart, whenever I entangle with one of these women, supposed trad women, I find out that they're just feminists and they're basically LARPing. Mm. But there is a kind of a good sign at the same time, which is that they're saying, wait a second. This is what men want to see in society. So I will conform to those values in order to get that male attention. So in some ways, it's it's perfect, right? I'd, I'd want to see more of it. I just kind of wish that they still weren't kind of LARPing feminists who were just trying to get more male attention. But on the other hand, if what we're saying is that if men's standards are raised and women will begin to act in a virtuous way in order mm. to attract male attention... I don't really know what we're complaining about, right? So in, in many ways, we kind of that's kind of what we're asking for. And so that's what's being delivered. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. And another thing that I find rather positive about it, and I agree with you there, is that look at the whatever podcast, for example. I think that's a really fascinating social experiment every time I have watched that podcast. You get on the one side of the table. Sometimes he puts in one or two girls who would be considered more trad. They'd have more conservative viewpoints. And then you get the OnlyFans girls over here. And you get a lot of guys who are sort of in the chat or whatever, sending the super chats and stuff that are oogling at the at their conservative women being like, wifey material this, wifey material that. So I feel as though there is a little bit of a shift happening where girls are starting to look at those more conservative women and being like, why do all these guys like respect them so much? Right. Whereas why do... Why do all of the sort of scumbag sort of guys want to uh, just sort of oogle over the OnlyFans girls and all the guys that I kind of find attractive find these girls attractive? So that cultural shift, I think, is sort of slowly happening where women are starting to realize that actually embodying morality and virtue and conservative values is actually better for finding a long-term mate, whereas before sure. they were just taught that that's just, that's evil. Well, as my wife has pointed out in many debates with prominent feminists when they ask, well, how could you ever change the culture anyway? What she stated emphatically is that women go where the attention is. 
And so if they're getting a lot of attention for dressing like skanks and acting like skanks, then that's exactly what they're going to do. Hmm. However, if that attention dries up and they get more attention by wearing sundresses and embracing virtuous values, then they'll do that too. So essentially, there is at least a signal that this is something that men desire and you're going to get lavish amounts of attention for embracing that. And so you're going to be more likely to mate pair with the type of man that you want. And so I expect fully to see more of that in society. Yeah, dude. Did you ever see that video? It was circulating a few months ago of that really traditional looking woman who he just looked this beautiful outfit and she just looks so elegant and understated. And she's walking through this street and there's a camera behind her, like a secret camera. And all of the men that she walks past are just like, wow, like head turning. And all of the women that she walked past look like really bitter. <laughs> but, but it's just this indication that if women actually made that effort, like you said, to wear a beautiful sundress, it's it's so much more beneficial for them. But what I see at the moment is this attention economy is is creating this ability for women to be able to go online and show their ass and get lots of instant gratification attention. And I liken that to a guy who, and they're giving away all their value. And I liken that to a guy who gets a paycheck and he goes and spends the whole thing on a, on a Rolex and then goes to the club and goes, yeah, yeah, look how, look how rich I am. But he's given away his value in that sense. Now I see those two things as, as sort of, sort of the same thing. Kind of, I would, I think I would agree in principle, maybe I can frame it a slightly different way. Hmm. If you kind of look at this OnlyFans experiment and you look at the experiment of what happens if every woman on planet Earth can instantly become a porn star overnight, okay? Now, they can use a sequence of uh, wigs and makeup and things like this and kind of body boosters like breast implants and stuff like to make themselves more desirable. Okay. And all of this is uh, all well and good. They're getting lavished with attention and they're making lots of money and things like this. But then an unfortunate side effect happens, which is that they begin to meet the wall who remains yeah. undefeated. As you know, <laughs> the wall has a 100% success rate and they yeah. all meet it. Eventually what happens is the younger generation look at that and they go, Oh man, if we repeat that experiment, we'll, we're going to inevitably meet with the wall as well. And then we're going to end up like mom where our friends came over to us in school and said, look at what your mom's doing to this goat, right? Or whatever it is that she's doing. (laughs) So the thing is, is that as the wall remains undefeated and the OnlyFans experiment continues, you could end up like Hunter Avalon's wife, right? And leave Mm -hmm. him to go be an OnlyFans porn star. So uh, I think that ultimately you can see that there's going to have to be some societal shifts as pornography itself and the consumption of it while it's true that it's very high the younger generation i think is going to look at this and go oh man you know wait a second you know my aunt blah 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 went down this road and i saw what happened to her so there's is a pendulum swing going on the other way Mm. does this give credence at all to the idea of of having uh 
a more liberal society. Let me just play devil's advocate here for a second. Sure. So if there is this cultural shift happening where all of the decadence is potentially going to be replaced by the more conservative values, then doesn't that give credence to the idea that people will choose wisely in the end? No. It gives it all, all it really does is point out kind of this obvious thing, which all of us already kind of know, which is that when you don't have any form of shared morality and everybody can just kind of do whatever the hell they want uh, and society be damned, that you're going to end up with decay and ultimately destruction and society will have to reformate, reformat itself into something that makes some site sort of sense and has to have some semblance of order. That's not really, in fact, it's not even not really, it's not at all the progressive ideal, which is that people are making good choices and they're voting correctly and they're doing all the things that they're supposed to do. If they were doing that, you wouldn't have to worry about the societal collapses to begin with, right? Mm. There wouldn't be a boom and bust cycle on culture because there it wouldn't be necessary because the values of people would always take a precedent in voting and they'd make these good, wise choices. They absolutely don't do that. They do the opposite of that. They vote in their self-interest. They, they rob the treasury blind through collective voting. They create victim blocks and victim groups so that they can seize power and they will literally dominate, steal your land, steal everything that you possibly have, and they don't care. So, no, I think that uh, the opposite is true, that liberal values lead to decay and eventually to collapse. And then it ends up being that they turn to the conservatives and go, help me, help me. What did we do? We destroyed everything. And that's that's what really happens. Yeah. Okay. And so you are a proponent of patriarchy and so is your wife. I am too. But there's this notion we have in society at the moment that patriarchy is just this oppressive structure. And you saw Jordan Peterson a few times in his old school debates when he was debating those journalists take apart the idea of an oppressive patriarchy. Um, so playing devil's advocate again, why would you want to just sort of keep women barefoot and naked in the kitchen doing like a, medi a meaningless job like raising children? So <laughs> I like I enjoy the framing there. Like the smart ass, the smart ass in me wants to be like, because that's where that bitch belongs. No, but, but the thing is, I'm not going to do. So I'm going to I'm going to be as like as good faith to the question as I can be. Right. Good. Women don't have inherent rights any more than men do. And there's no equalization in force between men and women, which means that there's always going to be a patriarchal structure in place for enforcement because men are the only ones who can apply force yeah. as rights givers to both men and women. So naturally, the ebb and flow of society is that a current patriarchy can allow for a matriarchal system to exist. They've done it in the past, but it's still actually run by a patriarchy. The thing is, is what we really want to see is we want to see the common man become a part of that patriarchal structure. And instead of a kind of this mapping of elitists doing that, and that's really what you're after. And I don't think I have dissimilar goals from that. Does a woman have to end up pregnant and barefoot in the kitchen? If the force and will of men is that she does, then that's where she will end up. But do I think that that's a good thing? No. And do I think most men think that that's a good thing? No, but I do think it's a good thing to have them serve their families instead mm. of serving their employer, because that's not ultimately really serving their families either. Yeah, I, I just 
I think that we've got a long way to go, though, when we're trying to convince women that they actually hate their jobs and that they don't want to be typing emails for a random boss. Like, whenever I speak to them, they always fucking hate their job. Like, guys don't necessarily hate their job. When we get around a table and we talk about work, we like to talk about how you can monetize it further and how we can build and develop. I, I very rarely, when women have a job, I very rarely hear them talk about how much they enjoy their job or it's 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 very much a lot of complaining that goes on. So how how do we how do we convince them that they hate their jobs? Have them go do jobs men do. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. So so the thing is is that as long as the enablement is there through technology to allow them to do jobs which are absolutely for the most part inconsequential yeah. just clerical work and sandwich making on a large scale honestly right it says top jobs as you know for women basically sandwich making and clerical work and then teaching kindergartners that's uh, that's about the extent of their kind of job performance skills so and then nursing you know all that i'm, I'm kind of being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here yeah, yeah but the way ultimately that you can do this is as you see more of this erosion in society and more decay, I think that you're going to see sexism spike to all-time highs, which I'm really looking forward to, as it turns out that the experiment of men and women working together has been a disaster. And high-level men who have a lot of wealth tend to want to hire other men because it's just too fucking dangerous to hire a woman. It's just too dangerous to do so. So as we see that sort of patriarchal, good old-fashioned sexism rise up, I think that women will be driven from the job market. It is going to take a long time, but it'll happen as less and less people uh, you know, and less and less men of influence want to hire them. So what happens instead is we will end up with kind of these equality quotas which we have in many states now, you have to have X amount of women to men or you don't get certain benefits. And these are all the types of hiring incentives. But if you see kind of these future generations who are raised with the more Christian values take over these cycles of government, then they may not be so happy in handing out mm. these types of quotas. So I've got to ask, because you when you and your wife go out and say you get invited to like a random uh barbecue or something and you don't really know anyone there and there's a few more liberal people has that has this situation ever occurred where this sort of conversation comes up and then your wife sort of goes against the feminist narrative and there's this sort of <laughs> have you ever had those interactions because i would just love actually to worse on the wall yeah it's actually worse um so let me give you this scenario this is what usually happens it's a very bizarre thing to me so when i go somewhere with my wife for any type of event, I want to let you know unequivocally, I don't do anything, right? <laughs> I refuse to do anything. And so if we're eating or something like that, it's my expectation. My wife goes and makes me a plate right now. She has magical powers and she can actually read my mind. She doesn't even need to ask me what it is that I want. Uh, just a plate appears before me with all of the delicious food that I really mm -hmm. like. I think it's wonderful. And then she brings me a beer and she gives me a kiss on the head, makes her plate, sits down next to me, and we begin to have a good time. And yes, people have gone absolutely batshit crazy. I've heard everything from you have legs, get it yourself to what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you make your wife do that? Are you trying to demean her? You know what I mean? All that bullshit. 
but I never have to say anything then either, because like I said, I'm there to have a good time. My wife takes care of that too and tells them to shut the fuck up and it's none of their business. And it's not, it's not any of their concern, right? I have reasonable, I have reasonable expectations. Uh, They're not unreasonable at all. I have worked myself half to death for most of my life, raising a family and enabled her to stay at home so that she can do the things she wanted to do more than anything, which is take care of her children. And she was enabled to do that by me. She can make me a plate of food. Yeah, man. Yeah. So you were a mechanic for most, you're a mechanic, right? By trade. Yeah. Industrial robotics mechanic. Yep. Yeah, right. It's, that's a, that's hard work, man. How long were you doing that? Very for? hard work. Very, very hard work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm fucking useless with cars, man. I can I can like change a tire and change my oil, but then well, otherwise- I didn't work in automobiles. I worked on heavy complex machinery oh, and robots okay. for massive food factories and for um, uh, also for basically money machines. Uh, it's much harder work. I mean, we were lifting- massive you know 800 pound electrical motors and running wiring through some of the most god-awful conditions you can yeah it was extremely difficult work with very long hours and um yeah i mean i but it enabled me to provide for a large household and we we weren't rich by any means still aren't but we are able to get by but your wife really appreciated that because I, I find that a lot of the time these days, uh, without she that, me every without single that, day. yeah, without that every understanding, day. it's like a lot of wives will, will believe that you're just going out to have fun with your friends all day and you're not really uh, doing all of this extremely difficult work. Yeah, she thanked me every single day. Every day I would come home, she would thank yeah. me. She'd say thank you, and then she would show it too. She would do things like um, when I was sleeping. She'd make sure that the, because I worked nights, right? Mm. And you know, I always worked nights because there was a shift premium and we could, we, we could use the money, you know? Mm. So I would always work nights where the shift premium was, because sometimes it was as high as a $5 shift premium, $5 an hour. I mean, that's a lot of money to turn down. So when I would sleep during the day, she'd keep the kids quiet. She would feed me breakfast at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it is that she thought would enable me to do my job better she she did and um yeah i couldn't uh, i couldn't tell you that for both of us i think both of us very grateful for that type of arrangement yeah i feel like that that sort of thing for a guy makes it all worth it like you it work a really hard job like that and just to have that thank you and just to feel like somebody's grateful and somebody's relying on you and they they they're aware of the things that you're doing it it makes it all worth it it does make it worth it and you have five, five kids, right? Yes. How, how old are the How old are the kids? The oldest one is, uh, I think, just turned twenty two, all the way down to the youngest one, who's eleven. Right, man. So, did you, you have kids pretty young? Uh, I did, yeah. But my wife also had children from a previous marriage. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, man, I uh, I feel like I've uh, gotten pretty much everything. I wanted to add to this conversation, man. I really appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Um, I did have a quick question for you. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. I feel like you have kind of a staunch libertarian streak that's inside of you somewhere. Hmm. Am I wrong? A little bit of libertarianism creeping up to the top? Yeah, I, I used to call myself that. 
but nowadays I don't really call myself anything because I'm kind of figuring it out, man. Like I don't, I wouldn't really say that. I, I would say that there is a libertarian streak there because a lot of my life has been. I, I used to be a full-on liberal atheist back in the day, and then I've come more towards conservatives, conservatism, and I've done all of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So having to re relinquish my past and realize that I was living in living in a state of immorality is a difficult thing and i feel like it's a process that you kind of have to work towards until you eventually figure out what you are in terms of the political spectrum whatever form of that libertarianism is that's left how could i convince you out of it i guess you just have what to could I, what could destroy I, what me? argument could i give you that would convince you out of whatever form of that kind of toxic libertarian pull yourself up by the bootstraps rugged individual what could i do what could i say that would finally grab the rest of that and pull it out of you hmm i guess you would have to take my worldview and would have to take it apart one little thing one little thing at a time because yeah, there's a lot maybe, i have a lot of very conservative maybe one like, day maybe example, one day we should do that <laughs> if you ever if you want to ever get me on your channel and and destroy my worldview i'd be more than happy to do that man but uh i've got some very conservative views for example i'm very much pro-life because sometimes you get yourself into a logical checkmate and i used to be uh you know pro-abortion because oh women's rights yeah. but then eventually you get yourself into a logical checkmate where you realize that's a human being and it's a human being from the moment of conception it has unique dna and then when you argue for abortion you're arguing for murder and you can't you can't you can try and play sort of mental games or you'd like it's like oh but three months but you're still arguing for the same thing at the end of the day so uh i've come to a lot more conservative viewpoints as i've gone deeper and deeper into the logic and i've come towards faith more and more as i've studied it more and i've read c.s lewis and i love listening to like apologetics debates it, as well and i just see reading, how the atheists crumble reading the screw tape letters are we no i read uh mere christianity oh okay gotcha yeah you ever read the wasn't that c.s lewis who did the screw c.s lewis oh i'm not yeah. sure i haven't read that yeah i would uh i would read pick up a book called the screw tape letters the screw tape letters yeah it's no, fantastic I'll check it. I'll check it out for sure but yeah it, you won't once you once you crack a page you won't be able to put it down it's fantastic yeah. yeah i don't what would you what would you say about that what would you say that uh is the sort of thing that really rips out the libertarian intestines and throws them in the bin i think that once you realize <clears throat> that the kind of descriptive claim that you have some sort of inalienable right or that people should live in a way in which they kind of have this promissory note of an inalienable right. Once you realize that that's all nonsense, I think that that's the easiest way. And I kind of show you the logical pathways for what ends up happening when you take that to its logical conclusion. Duty is the thing that I think men should focus on in virtue, not rights. Mm. I think that ultimately rights come with the respect to duty and virtue anyway. The I, things I, that you yeah. want, in other words, coexist with the things that you ought to be doing. I, I see your your viewpoint completely, and I see the actual. I, I see exactly what you mean, and I think that there's a, an abundance of examples of why it's right. You just got to sort of look around you, take a cursory glance at our culture. But I guess the libertarian 
in me and the libertarian and a lot of people I know fights against that because they're like, well, we can build culture. We can build the kind of culture that we want to see where we don't have to enforce it by, we don't have to enforce it by an iron fist. The non-aggression principle is why the liberal ends up with the sword and you end up on the other end of it. Right. Because the adherence to the non-aggression principle, which is the core that makes libertarianism work, has to be baked in with the assumption that everybody else follows it and they don't. Mm. And so what they end up doing every single time is grabbing the sword of power and cutting you in half with it and your ideals get cut in half right along with you. (laughs) Yeah. But don't, yeah, I I feel like sometimes the liberal would grab the sword, but we could still fuck the liberal up and take the sword, you know, because they're they're just not as like as strong as us and they'd probably start killing each other and then you could if you had um you could if you had enforcement and an army and if you had um you know all of the mechanisms of the state that libertarianism rejects because they consider the state to be an aggressive actor and so Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is the progressive creates a strong staunch state wields the sword of power and you can be a libertarian in your mind but in practicality what you are as a person who's held at the point of a progressive sword. Hmm. Well, anything else you'd like to, to ask me before we wrap it up? No, I just was curious about that. I'd be interested in having that conversation with you sometime. Anytime you want to do it, man, I'm always, uh, always open to that. And I think it'd be cool to take it sort of one issue at a time and yeah. to, to, to go through it. Yep, I agree. Thank you so much for your time today, man. Have a great night. No worries, man. And let everyone know quickly, we've got the Crucible YouTube channel. If there's any other places where they'd find you or where we can direct people. Yeah, you can find my YouTube channel. Uh, like you said, it's the Crucible. It's the fastest growing debate channel on the internet. To my knowledge, you can also find me on Rumble. We have tons of content there you can't find on YouTube. We'll soon be on Kick. Um, you'll also see me oftentimes giving uh, political commentary on the channel as well as hosting debates, as well as doing breakdowns of debate reviews. I also host a show called the Trash Talk Extravaganza, where I take the dumbest progressives on planet Earth and incessantly roast them for my own personal amusement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, that's where you can find me. I hope to see all of you here. The first video that everyone has to go check out is your is your reaction to the Matt Dillahunty debate i was fucking pissing myself laughing when i was watching you put the, put the music on <laughs> so half good. the fun man half the yeah. fun you gotta I, just um, enjoy those moments you know yeah you do anyway man have yourself a great night i'll talk to you another time